You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon. Hour three of Rintoul and Sermon. Karen Sermon, Jamie Dodd in for Scott Rintoul for the rest of this week. Scott will be back next week. I will be off next week. Jamie, you will be working next week. <laughs> yes, I will. I will. I've had my vacation little... for the summer. Yes, exactly. I'm, I'm excited. I'm getting on a plane for the first time. Wow. Uh, since January 2020. Wow, that's very exciting. Yeah. Where, where are you off to, if you don't mind me asking? No, no, I'm heading back home to Winnipeg. I have not been nice. home in two years. I haven't seen my family in 18 months because my family was out here uh, December prior to the COVID outbreak. But uh, it's going to be nice. going to spend a lot of time sitting by the lake at my cabin, pretty much doing the same thing I did on my last vacation in a Soyuz, just sitting in the water, drinking some beers and having a relaxing time. Not, nothing wrong with that whatsoever. That's a pretty good Absolutely. way to spend a vacation. Yeah. Absolutely. As we were speaking before the break, uh, one of the more intriguing divisions in the NFL this upcoming season is the AFC North division because last year they had three playoffs teams and then you also include Cincinnati <laughs> in that division and we know what happened with Cincinnati last year they lost Joe Burrow can they keep him upright what can he do coming back from a knee injury but that's not why I'm intrigued Cincinnati is not why I'm looking at this division I'm thinking okay what is going to go on with Pittsburgh this year Ben Roethlisberger is back Looks to have gotten, shed some pounds, been a little uh, more svelte this, uh, coming to this training camp, but he did lose a lot on the offensive line, so there's question marks with that. They have a running game a little bit when they uh, drafted the rookie kid, but still, what can they do? Baltimore, it all depends on the health of Lamar Jackson to me and him staying out of COVID protocols, Jamie. And then there's Cleveland, who I might say is probably looking to be the top team in this division, just depending if they can take another step with Baker Mayfield and that offense, uh, because we know how good they were last season under the first year of Kevin Stavansky. Yeah, looking at it from afar, I would have Cleveland and Baltimore as kind of co-favorites uh, in the division. I think Baltimore is maybe a little bit more of a more well-balanced team on both sides of the ball, whereas you know Cleveland, they're going to they're gonna make their hay on offense and then kind of hope things work out for the best on defense to a certain extent. Not that they have a terrible defensive team, but offense is where they're really going to shine. But those are the two teams I'm looking at as co-favorites right now in the AFC North. Yeah, we're going to be joined by Luke Jones momentarily, uh, Ravens reporter with WNST in Baltimore. But one of the stories, the big stories for this offseason and training camp so far has been the health of Lamar Jackson, uh, Jamie, because of the fact that for the second time in nine months, he did test positive for COVID-19. He is unvaccinated and he did have some pretty, he said, you know, both times around pretty severe symptoms from COVID-19. He was knocked on his butt pretty hard by the symptoms. He's healthy right now. He's back at camp. But this does have some implications moving forward, as he does say he's still questioning or we'll talk to doctors about whether or not he gets the vaccination. Yeah, it's man. It seems like every week in the NFL, there's there's another uh, high profile player who's who's kind of making these these sorts of comments. It's you know I don't want to laugh at it, but it is it is kind of inherently humorous given his history specifically with COVID. Yes, uh, and because we know the fact that the NFL is incentivizing teams and players to get the vaccination and those that are unvaccinated obviously have more restrictions, also have a lot more restrictions if they do test positive for COVID-19 or are a high-risk contact. But we're going to head to Baltimore right now, speak to Luke Jones, Ravens reporter with WNST in that city. Luke, good afternoon. How are you doing today? Doing well. How are you guys? We're doing pretty good. Thank you very much. Uh, second week, second and a half week of training camp down there in Baltimore. How has it been being at camp kind of normal compared to last season? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, m- much closer to normal. I mean, not not 100% yet, uh, and I think it's uh, important to be mindful of that. But uh, fans are out there. Uh, you know, the players aren't allowed to go up and sign autographs and, and interact with them up close, but they've been signing footballs, throwing them to the fans. And, you know, uh, we've been able to be outside and watch practice without wearing masks, which is nice when it's uh, days <laughs> like today where it's approaching uh, the low 90s as far as the temperature. But, you know, it, it, it's it's getting there. It's certainly uh, mm-hmm. much more normal than it was a year ago. But uh, as I heard you talking before I hopped on uh, the phone line with you, uh, COVID still very much uh, a part of the conversation and specifically as it relates to Lamar Jackson, who uh, just came back from his second COVID infection in the last nine months, just a few days ago. Now let's talk about this because obviously it's been the biggest story so far from Ravens camp. The fact he did test positive and I mean, second time in a nine month span and we it's really kind of an underreported story is a possibility of people testing positive for a second time. He says he's still not sure on the vaccine, and we'll s- we've seen how the NFL is incentivizing players and teams to get vaccinated. And we, we won't talk about, you know, should he or shouldn't he, but how do you read this situation with a player that needs to stay on the field for Baltimore? Well, I, I, as I wrote uh, the other day uh, at our station's website, baltimorepositive.com, it, to me, it kind of leaves the organization in an unsettling spot. I mean, you just said it. To be clear, he's not required by law or by NFL policy or Ravens policy to get vaccinated. Uh, so, so understanding that and putting all the debate and morality and all the different things uh, that you can hear about vaccinations and all that any, anywhere you look uh, in this day and age, uh, it, it really is a matter of just you know, the probability, the risk of him not being available. I mean, it's one thing to talk about, okay, could he test positive a third time later on this season? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a possibility. We know, to be fair, anyone who's vaccinated can still test positive. It's not a 100% absolute. But when you're talking about a vaccinated player as opposed to an unvaccinated player, uh, I, I think the probability, just playing the odds, you are talking about uh, leaving yourself open for more problems, whether it's uh, an infection or uh, in the case of, of a high-risk close contact situation. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, if Lamar... Does uh, Alex not to get vaccinated and he's exposed to an infected person, say, on a Friday before a game, well, that keeps, takes him out of play for five days then. So uh, I think it very much is a concern. Uh, I think the Ravens publicly, uh, from John Harbaugh down to his teammates, have all expressed support for any player to make uh, that, quote, personal decision. But uh, I think you know, what you say publicly isn't necessarily going to jive with how you feel about it behind closed doors. So, you know, I would think in a perfect world, uh, the Ravens would like Lamar Jackson to be vaccinated. And, you know, uh, if there's another problem again, whether it's testing positive later in the season or uh, just coming into a, a close contact situation, a false positive test, any any number of potential issues uh, that, that puts them uh, in a major bind when you're talking about one of the best quarterbacks in the league and a guy just two years removed from winning the NFL MVP. You alluded to it a little bit there, Luke, but I I look at other similar circumstances around the league, most notably, I think, in Minnesota with Kirk Cousins. And and the Vikings head coach, Mike Zimmer, has been pretty blunt about it in the media, coming out and saying, look, we could put all of this behind us uh, if guys would just go and get vaccinated. I know other coaches around the NFL have been outspoken about it as well. You know, as you said, publicly, the Ravens are kind of saying, look, it's everyone's individual choice. But do you get a sense of, you know, one, how concerned the organization is about this and, and what they might be doing behind the scenes to potentially, you know, as you say, just 
try to do a little bit of convincing or cajoling uh, to get Lamar Jackson to change his mind. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's there's probably been that for him and for other players in the organization. I mean, and in fairness, I mean, John Harbaugh said on the first day of training camp uh, that there are around 90% of their roster is vaccinated now. So they're doing well uh, from a, you know, a, a global standpoint looking in their organization. All their coaches are vaccinated. I mean, that they announced that earlier in the spring. So, yeah, I think there's plenty of dialogue. There's plenty of teammates talking about it you know lots of guys have talked about it i mean there have even been some players who kind of alluded to the fact that they might have been on the fence or or they might have had a personal feelings about it that you know we've all heard and we've all even had those discussions with people in our own circle uh, perhaps but i think it's just it still comes back to the convenience of it you know to to me you know the, the the hassle of Wearing the mask in the facility, the hassle of go- undergoing daily testing as opposed to uh, testing once every 14 days, as the current protocol uh, lays out. You know, it, there's just a lot of that going on. But uh, as you guys are, are well aware, you know, the NFLPA is also part of this dialogue, and I think you got to be really careful in not pushing too hard uh, because we we know that you know that becomes a labor issue then. So I, I think I'm sure they've done that. I'm sure they will continue to do that. I'm sure privately, yeah, they'd love their star quarterback to, uh, you know, they want all their players vaccinated, let alone talking about some of their stars. Uh, but, uh, again, you have, to, uh, you have to do it in a constructive way and a way that's not going to get you in trouble with, with the NFLPA. And looking at the the on the field situation for Lamar Jackson and, and the rest of the Ravens offense, I find it fascinating because you know obviously over the last couple of years and in his MVP year in particular, he's been so so prolific. That offense has been so productive, but there does also seem to be a lot of second guessing. Right? Are they doing enough to get him easy throws downfield? Are they too run heavy? All of these questions about the offense. How, if at all, do you expect this year's version of the offense to, to look different than what we've seen over the last couple of seasons in Baltimore? Well, I mean, I, I think it's, it's no secret that they want to get more production, more consistency out of their passing game. I mean, a lot of people have been dwelling on the fact that they finished 32nd in passing yards per game. This isn't a high-volume passing game. It's not going to be. Uh, you know, when you rush for over 3,000 yards the last two years, uh, I think it's pretty clear-cut where their bread and where their bread and butter is and uh, Lamar Jackson and his threat to run the football is kind of the foundation of everything they do in the passing game and handing the ball to their running backs now that said I think they certainly want to push the ball down the field more uh, and I think they'd like to throw outside the numbers a little more effectively and you know become a little more capable of throwing the football when they're in a position where they have to you know behind in, in games, as we've seen in the playoffs the last two years, uh, as I mentioned, throwing outside the numbers. And I, and I think you just look at their offseason. You know, they drafted Rash, uh, Rashad Bateman in the first round. They drafted Tylen Wallace in the fourth round. They added Sammy Watkins. Uh, they hired two uh, w- uh, wide receiver coaches with recent college coaching experience to kind of, I, I think, kind of reach, uh, you know, go about it a different way as far as teaching and coaching their young wide receivers. So, you know, I, I think you see all that evidence, and it's clear, yeah, they want to throw the ball more effectively. Uh, I think they want to throw the ball a little bit more. I don't think you know, you're going to see this suddenly become the Kansas City Chiefs and how they throw the ball, but I think they want to be more efficient. And if you look at what they did two years ago when Lamar led the, the league in touchdown passes, you know, 36 touchdown passes, uh, you know, uh, they were very, very efficient. I think they were 11th or 12th in passing yards per attempt. 
uh, that fell off last year. And, you know, for, for an array uh, of reasons, including their offensive line, uh, sustaining some, some attrition there. So, you know, I, I think it's obvious they want to be, become more efficient and a little more explosive. Uh, and, you know, what they've done to this point uh, in the offseason, I think, looked good on paper. But, you know, their issue has been Lamar not being on the field for the, the first 10 days of training camp. And uh, I mentioned Rashad Bateman, Marquise Brown, their, their top wide receiver, has been out since the first day with the hamstring issue. Plenty of time, but uh, they're, they're, that development, that progress they were hoping to make has been stunted by some, uh, some players being unavailable here at the start of camp. In conversation with Luke Jones, Ravens reporter with WNST in Baltimore. Let's look at the other side of the ball, Luke. What are your either questions or expectations for the defensive side for the Ravens this year? Well, I mean, I think you look at where the defense has been the last few years. I mean, Wink Martindale, uh, you know, now entering his uh, you know fourth year uh, as defensive coordinator, they're going to blitz a lot. That's going to continue. They're going to use a lot of deception and you know a lot of games with their defensive line with stunts and twists and things of that nature to try to confuse the opposition as much as they can. So they're going to do that, and they have a very deep, very talented secondary. It's a very mm-hmm. analytics-minded approach to, to playing defense uh, in the NFL in the modern day uh, where you really value coverage uh, and having those strong players on the back end of the defense and feeling that you can scheme pressure. I think the, so I, I think they feel very good about that. I think the big question is what does their pass rush look like even with the acknowledgement that they're going to blitz a lot because uh, they did lose two Pro Bowl outside linebackers in the offseason in Matthew Judon and Yannick Ngakwe. Now, they just brought in Justin Houston, who, of course, uh, you know, just about close to 100 career sacks, uh, but he's 32. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to be a, a situational pass rusher for them, a guy that I, I, I think in a perfect world they'd love if he – Still has another seven or eight sacks in him for 2021, and then uh, mentor uh, their first-round pick, uh, Adafe Owe from Penn State, uh, who was taken 31st overall, who is a physical freak. I mean, he is fast, he is strong, he is big, but didn't have a whole lot of collegiate production. Uh, you know, did not have any sacks at, in seven games at Penn State last year. So uh, that's the big question. I, I think their defense uh, and their defense – even with some injuries the last couple of years, has been a, at least a top five or, or top ten caliber unit at any point in time. But uh, the white whale for them, so to speak, has been mm-hmm. chasing Kansas City and, and knowing what Patrick Mahomes does against the Blitz and seeing what Tampa Bay did uh, against them in the Super Bowl. Can they figure out a way to create a little more of a pass rush out of a four-man front and not have to rely on the Blitz? That's the big question when it comes to facing the Chiefs. But I think against everyone else, for the most part, they feel quite confident in uh, their defense playing at a very high level. And everything we've seen early on in training camp would support that. Luke, when it comes to looking at last year, and the division itself had three playoff teams, of course, the Steelers did win the division despite faltering down the stretch. 11-5 and five for the Ravens. They got the wild card spot, as did um, the Cleveland Browns. But how do you see the Ravens stacking up within this division this year? Well, I mean, I, I think it's going to be really interesting again. I mean, it, you have three teams that are kind of at different places. I mean, you have Pittsburgh, as you mentioned, they get off to the great start last year, and then they just completely fell apart down the stretch. And, uh, you know, Ben Roethlisberger's a year older. Uh, their defense, which I think is still very, very talented, but you know, a couple changes here and there, uh, and big questions with their offensive line and their running game, which uh, certainly hurt them last year down the stretch. And, you know, I, I think – 
Ben Roethlisberger at this point is not a guy that you want throwing 45 or 50 times per game. I, I think that doesn't work for them. So uh, can they get more out of their rushing attack? Can they protect him a little bit better? And on the defensive side of the ball, can they, you know, with, with a little bit of revamping that they've had but still plenty of talent, can they continue to play at a high level? I'm not ready to write off Pittsburgh, but I think of those three teams you just mentioned, to me they kind of feel like third in the pecking order right now, uh, even though they're – now, the most tested, uh, you know, as far as some veteran players on that team. You know, have the Ravens, who have been in that Super Bowl contender, AFC contender conversation for a few years now, but how do they take the next step? And then I think you have Cleveland, who is fascinating to me in the sense of so much talent on paper. They've added a lot of talent to that defense. Uh, and, you know, of course, they make the playoffs. They get the big playoff win over Pittsburgh. How do they handle that, however? Because we've seen upstart teams. I mean, think back to Jacksonville a few years ago. With you know, They were leading in the, in the AFC championship game in the second half, but they didn't build on that. And We've seen how they've kind of started over uh, a few le- years later. Do, does Cleveland handle that success well? Do they come back and they're hungry? Or is, is that a team that, because they are young, and they have a, you know, Kevin Stefanski did a great job last year, but he's not John Harbaugh or Mike Tomlin, <laughs> as experience goes. Are they focused, or are they someone that, you know, a team that starts reading their press clippings a little bit more? So, you know, I like the Ravens to win the division, but I think it's, I think it's Baltimore and Cleveland neck and neck, and I think the second half of the schedule is going to be fascinating with both teams having so many AFC North games and a challenging schedule. So, you know, I think... You know, the, those three teams and you know Pittsburgh kind of lagging behind a little bit, but not ready to write them off completely. But uh, I think this is going to be a very competitive division. But uh, I think the Ravens kind of hit that sweet spot of you know uh, a lot of talent, but also you know having uh, more experienced coaching. And you know they've they've been to the dance a few times now. Uh, you know it feels like this could be their time to to break through at least a little bit more and get a little deeper into January. Well, I, I agree with you about not being able to count the Steelers out, even though you kind of look at it on paper and you feel like you should, but we're just so yeah. used to seeing them win games consistently year after year after year. But, you know, looking at Baltimore and Cleveland, I agree with you. They're going to be neck and neck, I think, for the division. Do you see both of those teams as, as legitimate Super Bowl contenders in the AFC as well? I mean, I, I think it's so tough. I, I mean, I think that comes down to how much do you believe in Baker Mayfield? And I guess you could say the same thing about Lamar Jackson in January. I mean, we've seen Lamar put up unbelievable production the last couple of years, uh, rushing, rushing, of course, you know, back-to-back 1,000-yard rushing seasons. But, you know, he led the league in touchdown passes two years ago. But you know, with Baker Mayfield, is he the, 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 guy, the quarterback that we saw down the stretch last year? Is that who he is? You know, is that, you know, did he graduate, so to speak, in the way that people – Thought Lamar Jackson graduated two years ago, the way Josh Allen did last year with a MVP caliber kind of season, or does he kind of take a step back? Because you know, he looked really good at the end of his rookie year, and then we saw him uh, in 2019 very much take a step back. I think it comes down to him. You know, if what we saw down the stretch last year is the real Baker Mayfield, you know, and he's here to stay, then I think you you do put Cleveland kind of on the cusp of being in that. You know, what I would call the Kansas City, Buffalo, Baltimore tier at this point, and you know you could probably kind of put the you know the Titans there, depending on you know how you feel about what they've done. But you know, I, I think with Cleveland, I'm still just not quite that sold on Baker Mayfield just yet. I, I don't think he's bad, but that consistency has to be there uh, if the, the Browns are going to take that next step. And you know what 
Baker does have going for him, though, is lots and lots of talent on both sides of the football. Uh, you know, that's why I think the Browns are getting so much hype uh, with how they look on paper, and I think that's fair coming off of a playoff season. Hey, Luke, thanks so much for taking the time today and joining us. I know it's been busy covering training camp. Enjoy the preseason game. I believe it's Sunday at home against New Orleans, if I'm not mistaken. Saturday night, but yes. uh, Saturday night. Okay, sorry. Yeah, preseason opener, and uh, I don't know if we'll see Lamar Jackson, uh, given some of the injuries on their offensive line right now and and him just coming back. But, yeah, looking forward to uh, that first preseason game, get a little more context and uh, move forward here uh, over the summer. Awesome. Well, enjoy your time covering the Ravens. Uh, We'll catch up down the road. Thanks so much. Sounds great. Anytime. Thank you. That is Luke Jones, Ravens reporter for WNST in Baltimore. It's it's why I wanted to get him on, Jamie, because or speak about this division because of the fact that Baltimore, yes, they have the talent level to maybe make that breakthrough. We saw last year with Lamar Jackson finally getting that playoff win over Tennessee in the wildcard game, but then again, kind of putting a dud in Buffalo. I understand going into Buffalo is a difficult prospect in January to do, especially with the the way that uh, that team and Josh Allen was playing this season, but it is, can they take a next step? And I just have questions about what the Steelers are going to look like and what the Cleveland Browns are going to look like, because he's not as bullish on Baker Mayfield that I do believe that he's going to take another step this season and just another offseason with Kevin Stefanski working on what works for the two of them together, I think will be a huge, massive uh, offseason for them. I do think that if I was to probably handicap this division I would put for my opinion uh Cleveland at the top of it just based on Baker Mayfield and the next step I expect him to take well and the one thing that Baker Mayfield he has more than one thing but one of the most important things he has working in his favor is they should have if not the best among the best offensive lines in football Mm -hmm. right and that's so important when you have a quarterback that you're not entirely sold on, right? The fact that he's going to have production, he has tons of weapons to work with, or he's going to have protection, excuse me, he has tons of weapons to work with, as you mentioned, year two in a very effective scheme brought in by Stefanski. So even if you're not high on Baker Mayfield as a talent, the environment mm-hmm. he's in should make him very productive this year. Maybe take a little, talk a little NFL football on the other side. Continue the talk of the footy south of the border. We're also going to get to what they're saying. That's usually in the previous hour, but we were talking some NHL uh, hockey, so we'll get to that as well coming up in the next uh, 30 minutes. So as Calgary joins us to the bottom of the hour, you have been listening to Rintoul and Sermon. Jamie Dodd in for a vacationing Scott Rintoul. Now back to Rintoul and Sermon. Oh, an oldie but a goodie. Almost got me singing on air, Jamie. Almost got me singing on air. I think I heard a little bit of it there. Maybe, really? Maybe I just I pull- a little bit. I never cure- I'm never sure like when Greg pulls up the mic <laughs> to put us live on air. So I'm not yeah. quite sure. But uh, I think Greg I has a tremendous- in there, Karen. Greg oh, has a well. tremendous amount of power because he can he can pot us up at basically any time and, he and catch us unaware. Because for the listeners don't know, we don't have the ability to turn ourselves down uh, at home. We are just all at the mercy of Greg. And Greg, if you got me on air singing, well, you know, 
the listeners get to enjoy that for a little while. We talked a little NFL. This is Rintoul and Sermon, Karen Sermon, Jamie Dodd, in for Scott Rintoul. Talked a little NFL with, uh, on the other side of the break, with Luke Jones, talking about the AFC North Division. There's a lot of questions I have going into this NFL season, Jamie. It's kind of got me, I'm excited because, you know, coming in, there's a lot of rookie quarterbacks that could be starting week one in the NFL season, something that maybe we haven't seen in the past, potential of five rookie starting quarterbacks that were taken uh, in this year's draft, which could be incredible to see. Plus, there's the health of a lot of guys coming back. Like, there's just a lot of things. And I think every NFL season, we tend to have question marks, but there are a lot of things that have caught, caught our eye. Uh, this year specifically uh, when it comes to the NFL start of the season, which is, by the way, a month away now? A month away, I think. It's, it's September 9th. It's, if that. Yeah, it's, it's exactly, you're right. September 9th is game one, so less than a month away now from the official start of the regular season of the NFL. Okay, so you and I came up with this discussion last week, but we're hold, we've held it until to now. We had a lot of topics last week to talk about so we're going to talk about it today we're going to talk about our five burning questions we want to call it our five burning questions we have sure. heading into the nfl season jamie you've come up with your list i've come up with mine as with previous in the show when we talked about the predictions for the pacific division you and i have not discussed these we are coming at them blind uh as of the first time today so i'll let you go first what is your first question you have about this nfl season All right, so I'm going to start with the defending Super Bowl champions. And, Karen, I put this caveat in the rundown, and I'll say it for the listeners as well. I feel like a bit of an idiot (laughs) for even broaching this subject, but I think it has to be asked. Okay. Is this the year that Tom Brady finally actually looks his age? He just turned 44. He is 44. There is no precedent for a quarterback playing like this at his age. I know it's not peak Brady anymore, but he was still extremely effective for the Buccaneers last year, taking them to the Super Bowl. And, okay, look, Tampa Bay, I believe they're the betting favorites still to come out of the NFC and go to the Super Bowl. I don't think they're the overall favorites. I think the Chiefs are the overall Super Bowl favorites, but they're the NFC favorites. That roster is very, very deep. We know about it. It's, It's stacked at wide receiver, got a great offensive line, got tons of talent on defense. It's a great roster but they still need Tom Brady to be really good, right? You still need that extra level of ability out of your quarterback. And look, I'm not sitting here trying to predict that he's going to fall off a cliff. I'm not betting on it. I'm not doing any of that because so many people have done that so many times in the past, and it's never worked out for them. All I'm saying is if you're, you're looking at the top teams that we expect to be among the most relevant competitive teams, this has to be a question. He's 44. At some point, what do we say, right? Father time is undefeated. At some point, father time is going to come for Tom Brady. All I'm saying is this could be the year. I will say this. Father time did not hurt him last year at the age of 43, Jamie, and nope. a torn Ames MCL in his knee that apparently he was playing with all season. Yes, they had struggles early on trying to figure out that offense, figure out the weapons for Tom Brady, uh, just kind of finding some consistency, but they did find it towards the end of the year. My first question was, can Tampa repeat? So the, it's similar to what you were asking, but I see if Tom Brady with the entire, they, they're literally running it back. You never see this in the NFL. I believe every single player that at least big player on that team that was on that roster last year is back again to try and win a Super Bowl. So if Tom Brady can compete with Father Time and hold him off for a little bit longer, my question is, is can Tampa Bay repeat as 
champions because it's a little different when everyone's gunning for you, right? They are going to win the division. I mean, I look at this division and I think Carolina, Sam Darnold, uh, no. Uh, who's going to start in New Orleans? We don't know. Jameis Winston, yep. Taysom Hill, Michael Thomas. What's his health? When will he be back? Atlanta is a bit of a wild card. Uh, we do know that Doug Ferrar is a lot higher on them than a lot of other people, but I look at this division. It is Tampa's for the taking. They should win it easily like Tom Brady used to do in the AFC East with the New England Patriots. My question is, is when everyone's gunning for you, can you still come out top of the mountain? And let's not forget, it's not as if they steamrolled the NFL last year, right? There were a lot of nope. ups and downs in Tampa's season. Some weeks they looked incredible. Other weeks they, they just did not have it at all in the regular season. So, yeah, it might have top to bottom the best roster in the NFL, but it's not flawless. There, there are holes that can be exploited for sure. And I got to get this, and this text came in immediately unsigned uh, to the 650-650 text message inbox. Uh, Brady keeps getting people Charlie Browned every year with the age topic, LOL. Right? And I agree. I said off the top, I feel kind of dumb for even bringing it up. But then I just look at the math, and I feel like I have to bring it up. So I'm fully prepared to be Charlie Brown uh, kicking and trying to kick and missing the football here with Tom Brady's age. What's your second question, Jamie, heading into this NFL season? So it's uh, it's focused on the other big offseason storyline, which, of course, is Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. And my question is simply, how long can this marriage, this marriage mm -hmm. of convenience for one more year, stay happy, right? How long can Aaron Rodgers and the Packers actually get along? And it's going to be really interesting, you know, look, he's back in camp. Devontae Adams is there. He's such a competitor. He's going to give it his all to start the year. But what I'm really interested in is the first hint of adversity. How does that go? How does he handle that, right? Because it's easy to all be on the same page and singing Kumbaya when you're winning. And this Green Bay team should win a bunch of games with Aaron Rodgers in the fold. But if they get off to a slow start, do things start to crack a little bit? Does he start to, you know, make some noises in the press? Does, does, does the relationship start to fray? Healthy and happy Aaron Rodgers on the field competing, I think Green Bay is a contender in the NFC. But if that relationship starts to sour, it could go sour in a hurry. So that's my second question. How long can Aaron Rodgers and the Packers get along? And to further that point, I would say what happens not only if they get off to a slow start, but even just Rodgers has a down game, right? Yep. The question is not only to him, but to his teammates and to his head coach will be, well, is, is Aaron's head in it? Is he in it? Like, is he really invested? And it's those are, you know, you don't want to be answering those questions as teammates. Aaron Rodgers, we know how salty he can get at times. He doesn't want to be answering those questions. Maybe he'll stop his Pat McAfee weekly, you know, appearances on yeah, his show. Yeah. Like, there's, it just strikes me as it's a tightrope that they're walking. And we'll see how soon Aaron Rodgers or the Green Bay Packers fall off. Because I feel this has the potential to go really well with the talent on that roster. But it also has the potential to go really south fast, just like you said. And and working uh, in their favor on that regard, I will say, I think they have a pretty easy schedule out of the gate. You just look at through kind of seven weeks, New Orleans, Detroit, San Francisco should be good. Pittsburgh, major questions. Cincinnati, Chicago, Washington. I mean, you could be looking at one playoff team out of their first seven opponents, right? So the, if they can get some of that momentum rolling, get those good feelings building, then yeah, they should be competitors down the stretch in the, in the NFC. Winning cures all, Jamie. Winning cures oh, yeah. all. Uh, my second question revolves around a quarterback as well, but I'm going to go out to the West Coast, and I'm going to talk about Jimmy G. How long is Jimmy G's rope? 
Now, we had Dieter Kurtenbach on, who's been covering the San Francisco 49ers last week, and he's the one who's been, you know, head of the Trey Love, uh, Trey Young Love in. Trey Lance. <laughs> Club. Trey Lance, sorry. Trey Lance, love-in fest uh, with San Francisco, and he fully admitted it. He said Trey Lance has looked phenomenal in training camp, but I do think that San Francisco would likely start with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback, but the only question is how long is that rope that he has for being that starting quarterback? Because if all reports are true and if Trey Lance comes in and has a great preseason, but Jimmy does still start, how long will Kyle Shanahan be able to go with a guy that, you know, maybe isn't getting the job done, go to the rookie. We know how he can be a lot more versatile and mobile, uh, Trey Lance at quarterback. But it's my question is, what is the breaking point of that rope for Jimmy Garoppolo? And the interesting thing about this quarterback battle, and, and Dieter acknowledges, he was very upfront about it, even though he's been banging the drum for Trey Lance, is Jimmy Garoppolo's been great in camp too, right? And we mm-hmm. all know Jimmy Garoppolo has his limitations as a quarterback, but all indications are he's performing really, really well right now. So that that makes it even more interesting. This is not a case where, you know, the veteran is struggling and the rookie is pushing for the playing time. Yeah, the rookie is doing that, but the veteran's keeping up his end of the bargain as well by playing well. So... It'll be fascinating because it does seem like a situation where the roster in San Francisco is good enough that if Jimmy G meets his level, plays like he's doing in camp, they'll be able to win a lot of games. But you Uh also know there's always going to be the questions about the ceiling with Jimmy Garoppolo. And if people, it might only take one bad game, right, for people to say, you know what, the bad Jimmy is back. We need (laughs) to go to Trey Lance. What is your third question for this NFL season? Sticking in the NFC West, which I think both you and I expect to be one of the most competitive and interesting divisions in the NFL, what will a new offensive coordinator mean for the Seattle hmm. Seahawks? And it's such a fascinating discussion. We had Mike Duger on last week who covers the Seahawks for the Athletic. And, you know, I kind of put this question to him and he said, it's so interesting. Everyone's expecting this big leap forward for the offense, but they were already a top 10 offense last year. They were a very effective offense. Now, it came in, it was kind of hit or miss, right? Some some weeks they hit a home run. Some weeks it didn't. It, it looked like they didn't know what they were doing. So I think fans will be hoping uh, for some extra consistency. But there's always this fascinating debate in Seattle. You know, the let Russ cook movement. Are they throwing the ball mm-hmm. enough? Are they getting enough short, easy throws? Or is it all downfield? Yeah, they were already a productive offense. But as Russell Wilson has said this week, I think with, between Russell Wilson, Tyler Lockett, and DK Metcalf. They have the pieces to not just be a top 10, but to be a top five, maybe even top three offense in the league. And that's the big question for me. Can Shane Waldron, coming from the Sean McVay system in L.A., transform that offense and make it not just good, but elite in the NFL? Yeah, when I look at this, too, I look at it twofold. One, it's great when you let Russ cook and the the passing game downfield is working, but when that passing game downfield is taken away, will Shane Waldron be able to bring in a little bit more of that intermediate game that will alleviate some of the pass rush on... um on Russell Wilson and maybe open up that passing game down the field once again. And can Pete Carroll let Shane Waldron do what he wants to do? Will he give him the leash to do it? Yeah. My third question is just, I have the word Tua. Tua. (laughs) I want to know what year two of Tua Tungavaiola as a starter is in the NFL. The key for me, it's another year removed from his horrendous hip injury that required surgery. So one more year of getting fully healthy, Jamie getting back to feeling who he was prior to the injury in Alabama. The hip injury wasn't really talked about too much last year. It was like, okay, does he have the arm strength? Are they um, designing a offense 
you know, to um, th- that's best for him. But why aren't they not going downfield? Is Ryan Fitzpatrick always in the back of his mind going, okay, if I'm not playing well, Fitzmagic can come in and I'm going to be taken off the field if our offense isn't clicking. No more Ryan Fitzpatrick. No more Ryan Fitzmagic there this year. So mentally, he doesn't have to know if you don't perform, you're going to be taken off the field. I want to know if Brian Flores and the new OCs are going to open the playbook, expand it from last season, and allow Tua to be more dynamic. You think about the fact that he has Devontae Parker now, former, and then has former teammate, sorry, he has yeah. Devontae Parker, who is there. Former teammate Jalen Waddell, who was a sixth overall pick. They played together at Al. Alabama. And then Will Fuller, when he gets back from his PED suspension, he's got a couple of games left in his suspension from last season. So there is the ability to be dynamic on offense. I just want to know if two is going to be allowed to be dynamic on offense. Yeah, I'll, I'll just roll this into my next question, which was who is going to be this year's breakout quarterback, right? There's always one every year who comes out and just really increases their level of play. And you know, Tua is one of the obvious candidates this year, right? You could throw Joe Burrow in there. You could look at some of the rookie quarterbacks as well. But Tua is such an interesting case. People were very, very down on him last year as his rookie season. But I think if you look at it, it wasn't actually as bad as people make it out to be. I think there a lot of what's happening there is people are compare, comparing him to Justin Herbert, who was fantastic mm-hmm. as a rookie, right? And obviously Tua fell short of that yardstick. But there's something to build on there for him as a rookie, I really like the way they've beefed up the receiving core. It's a fantastic kind of top three receivers, as you say, once Fuller gets back from his suspension with Parker and Waddle. I like the weapons there. Questions on the offensive line. I don't know if I'm going to say he's the breakout quarterback because I think there are other candidates, but I don't think we're going to look at this and say, you know, Tua's the reason that Miami underachieves this year, if that happens, right? I think he's going to hold up his end of the bargain. And I think he's going to take a major step forward in year two. When you mentioned the fact, I want to. You said Joe Burrow, like he's he's someone that could take a next step. I just want to see Joe Burrow healthy and not on his ass all yes. game, uh, and, and not <laughs> yeah, being absolutely decimated by opposing pass rushes. Yep. Yeah, that's the question that I have for uh, Joe Burrow. My fourth one was, again, sticking with quarterback, and it usually is a lot of quarterback questions when it comes to what's going to happen in the NFL season. Mine is basically it's as simple as this. Can Sean McVay McVay work his magic with Matt Stafford? That's basically it. I want to know. It's a great question, honestly, because Matt Stafford is such a polarizing quarterback. So many people look at it and say, well, what? He's never won anything. He's never helped the Lions be better. What's all the hype about? But you hear other people talk and people who know the game really well, and they say, you know, he has all of the characteristics to be an excellent quarterback in this league. And you got to think if there's anybody who can unlock that talent, it's Sean McVay. If he does, all of a sudden you're taking a team that's year in year out extremely competitive despite having Jared Goff at quarterback if that's a major upgrade they could be kind of the dark horse contender not just in the NFC West or the NFC but league-wide for a Super Bowl berth yeah and you have to think that Sean McVay knows what he's doing and knows because he was like look I can't go anywhere Jared Goff I gotta get rid of him I gotta upgrade I'm gonna give a first round pick a way for someone to take Jared Goff off my hands to upgrade this at a quarterback. So I'm interested to see what Matt Stafford can do in that environment. I do have questions about the fact they lost Cam Akers. Uh, he was expected to take another step in his sophomore season. He blew out uh, his knee, I believe, or his Achilles, one of the two, in an off-season workout before they even got to camp. But they do have Darnell Henderson. He was very solid last season prior to his own injury. So what can that offense look like? But yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see what uh, Sean McVay can drum up for Stafford and that offense. Jamie, what's your third, your fifth one? Not third, fifth. My my final question, again, sticking with the quarterback position. 
is last season's Josh Allen the real Josh Allen, right? Mm -hmm. And it's easy to forget now because he was so, so good last year. But Josh Allen in his first two years in the league was kind of a punching bag, right? He, he was kind <laughs> of a joke. He made so, yeah, You could see the talent and the athleticism and the arm talent and all of that. He made some plays. But he also made just some horrendous throws, right? And you'd see the highlights on Twitter of him, you know, airmailing a guy by 10 yards on third down and walking off the field frustrated. And that version pretty much disappeared last year. He was one of the most effective quarterbacks in the NFL. It's so rare to see a guy dramatically improve like that from one season to the next. Mm -hmm. This is a guy, he went from completing 58% of his passes in, 20, in 2019 to 69% last year. That's a huge, huge jump in efficiency. And he did it while still, you know, throwing a ton of passes, throwing a ton of touchdowns, not throwing that many picks, throwing way fewer picks than he has in years past, or by percentage at least. If he can keep that up, I mean, the Bills are clearly a legitimate Super Bowl contending team. And if I had to bet, I would bet on him maintaining at least something close to that level. But it's just so rare to see that kind of jump from a quarterback yeah. from one year to the next that I think you have to have questions. Now, the Bills, I know they gave him the big contract, so they obviously believe it's real. We hear a lot about all the work he put in to kind of transform himself as a quarterback. Again, I'm not saying it's not real, but it, again, it's just such a rare situation. You got to have questions about it. I do. I have questions about Josh Allen. Do I think that he can replicate what he did last season? Absolutely, I think he can. Um, I think the talents there coming in from the draft, remember the questions were accuracy with him. And a lot of people yep. who know the game a lot better say, look, accuracy is one thing that you just can't actually get, get too much better at, right? Like you either have it or you don't. But he obviously proved that last season something clicked for him maybe it was just a couple of years of you know going against NFL defenses seeing how quickly they come at him and working with his offensive coordinator and getting an offensive scheme that worked well for him I do think that I don't think there's gonna be too much regression if any I'm I mean you could suggest maybe he's playing a little bit below his MVP nomination caliber next season but I do, do I don't think it'll be too big of a drop-off Talking about quarterbacks again, mine is about the health of Dak. And I had to throw it in here because I'm a Cowboys Got to get the Cowboys fan. in there. I got to get it in. Now, look, I still never watched the injury, Jamie. I've never seen it. Um, right. I hope to never have to watch it because it's one of – being described to me as one of the most horrific things that anyone's seen on an NFL field. But the catastrophic ankle injury, compound fracture, what is his health like? Does he hold back with mobility as he tests it out? Like how – what kind of Dak Prescott do we see? Do we see the one that got off to a pretty hot start in the first three games of the season prior to the injury? Or do we see someone that's a little hesitant? Plus there's the shoulder injury right now that he is dealing with in training camp. Hopefully that doesn't linger. My more questions is with the ankle and just mentally getting over that injury on the football field. He also got that massive extension done. Four years, $160 million. Now it weighs on his shoulders not you know he's not gonna have the questions is well why haven't you signed your contract and all that all the questions that were asked in the previous off seasons with the Cowboys and Dak Prescott but you do have the weight now of it they gave you the money they handed the franchise over they need you to get to the next step and that is something that no one has done since Troy Aikman and that is get to a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl it's been what 36 years, something like that, uh, since the Cowboys have 1995. I don't even know if that might happen. right. 26. Okay, it feels like yeah. 36. All the decades uh, run Jamie. together, I know. But still, it's, is he healthy? Is there any 
residual effect from the injury mentally and what can he do leading this team because they have the weapons on at least offense and you could talk about all the questions they have on the defense side of the ball but when it comes to offense he has his weapons he has his contract what does Dak Prescott look like this season and the interesting thing about this is the best version of that Cowboys offense is I think would involve Dak Prescott making plays and throwing the ball a lot, right? Because they have the talented wide receiver. You know, CeeDee Lamb looks primed for a breakout. Amari Cooper is still very effective. Yep. Michael Gallup's a nice player. They have the pieces to be a high-octane, explosive offense. But you also know there's always the tendency in Dallas to kind of fall back on handing the ball after ball off to Ezekiel Elliott as a safety blanket. I think that would be a mistake. Zeke is to me is clearly in decline. They got to transition away from that version of the offense to one that again relies on Dak and the receivers to make plays. And I'm just curious if there's any hesitancy about his health, it's going to be so easy for them to say, you know what? We're giving the ball to Zeke 25 times a game. That would be a mistake. So I think the Cowboys they, they almost need Dak to save them from themselves, right? Show that he can go out there and carry the load because the alternative is not going to be pretty. They need him to be at the top of their game or else, again, it's going to be a steady diet of, you know, Ezekiel Elliott for two yards up the middle. I will say that Zeke knows he's coming off a brutal couple of seasons in a downward spiral. Now, getting svelte is not going to help his hands, which was the issue last year with Zeke Elliott. He couldn't hold on to the football. I mean, it was just fumbles at key times, and it was just a disaster of a season. But he has come in, Jamie, weighing 218 pounds, and that is the lowest he has been since his rookie season at Ohio State. He put the work in in the offseason. He's trying to keep his body in a lot better shape to keep uh, maybe the injuries at bay. And if they are going to have to pound the ball with Zeke Elliott, his body is more conducive to taking that type of pounding because he is in better shape this season. But as I said, that really doesn't affect your hands if you can't hold on to the football yeah. and not fumble and keep the ball in your possession. So it'll be interesting. Um Here's hoping the shoulder injury doesn't keep Dak off the field longer than the ankle injury does. Uh, lots of questions surrounding the NFL season. We're going to go to a little bit more answers, maybe this coming up this week, this weekend, as it's a full slate of NFL preseason games. Week one officially takes place, and so there might be a little bit of answers that we find out. We missed what they're saying because we went a little long. And Calgary, we have to get rid of you. You are going to switch over to the big show. Have a great afternoon. We'll get back to with you tomorrow morning. Vancouver, you're with us for one more hour. We're going to talk a little hoops next. Sportsnet's Michael Grange is up. You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon. Jamie Dodd in for Scott Rintoul. You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon. Yes, this is Rintoul and Sermon. See, I was smart that time, Jamie, because I can rap that first version, the first <laughs> verse of this song, but I was mouthing it because I didn't want anyone to hear my rapping skills on air. That's a solid poll, Greg. Thank you. It's a good Tuesday afternoon. I, and I, it's one thing to get your singing on air, but yeah, you got, we don't, rapping on air is a whole other thing. No, so. we don't. We <laughs> Wait, it's smart of you to take the precautions there. We definitely don't need that. Uh, Jamie, this NBA offseason has been interesting. Maybe not as yep. riveting in the past with some of the big names on the move. No disrespect to Kyle Lowry. Um, but, you know, we haven't seen, you know, AD is going to go join LeBron and Paul George is going to go join Kawhi in the Clippers. And it just wasn't really as the big, massive landscape shifting contracts and decisions made by players that we've seen in the past couple of seasons. Yeah. And I mean, we saw some stars re-up, 
on extensions with their current team, right? Kevin Durant in Brooklyn, Steph Curry in Golden State. I mean, the one, if you wanted to get excited about a big move with big names, it would be Russell Westbrook to the Lakers. But, yeah, Westbrook, the bloom is off the roads a little bit, so it doesn't feel as earth-shattering as it would have, (laughs) you know, a couple seasons ago. When it's the third year in a row you've been traded, it's kind of like, ah, this doesn't seem as enticing. But one of the big names was the Kyle Lowry, and he is heading finally to Miami. The deal is done. He's off to South Beach, and the Raptors are getting, at least for now, and I, I'll explain why I say at least for now. Goran Dragic, guard, veteran guard, Goran Dragic, and Precious Achua from Miami. Now, the expectation is that Dragic will get traded again. Many may never see him play for a Raptors or in a Raptors uniform. He's been connected with his fellow, fellow Slovenian Luka Doncic in Dallas. I see that actually as a pretty good fit for Goran Dragic. But the Raptors are not just going to give him away, Jamie. They're going to want to get the right package coming back. So that could lead us to see Dragic in a Raptors uniform, at least yep. until the Raptors do get the package that they want in return. That being said... We're going to speak to Michael Grange here momentarily, Sportsnet's uh, Raptors insider, because he did speak to Goran Dragic about some of the comments that Dragic does say was taken out of context. And maybe we'll let uh, Michael do this as we are joined right now by Michael Grange. Michael, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. So before we got you on, we were talking about the fact that the deal is done with Miami. Kyle Lowry is officially on his way to South Beach. And coming the other way is one player, two players, but one player specifically, Goran Dragic. Now, he has been linked to the fact that he may never play for the Raptors. He may be flipped and going another direction and maybe going to the Dallas Mavericks. But there were some comments over the weekend, and a snippet of his comments were taken Translated to English, and then, in his words, taken out of context. I know you spoke with Drogic over the phone. He's in Slovenia right now. Can you kind of paint a picture about what the comments were and then how he explained them? Yeah, well, uh, he was in uh, Slovenia, uh, the capital there, and there was a a reception, um, a public reception for the uh, Olympic basketball team, which had finished fourth, which in Slovenia is giant because, I mean, their country is 2 million people, so... Uh, to have a team that successful on that stage is a big thing. Luka Doncic is a giant star there. And Goran Dragic has always been on the Slovenian national team, but that time part of his career is over. So he was there sort of as like an ambassador, public figure type thing. And, uh, you know, a few journalists. So he'd be a, a, the type of figure that um, journalists would, would want to make their way over to and, and ask for his opinion on a few things. And uh, came around to his, his status with uh, Toronto and being traded from Miami and, um, you know, what he said, and he's not disputing he said it, was, you know, Toronto wasn't his preferred destination. He has bigger ambitions. So we'll see. And and I think, again, that's, that's from Slovenian to English. And, you know, I think there's no secret that Toronto wasn't his preferred destination. When he put it in context, he's like, it's in the context of me leaving Miami, uh, where I've called home for seven years and, and – uh, you know, you're at his stage of his career, you know, you don't necessarily want to be, you want to have a little bit of uh, say in, in where your next address might be and those kinds of things. And and so, you know, I think the thing that maybe got people's back up a little bit is, you know, that he has bigger ambitions, which is, you know, and he would acknowledge when I, when I talked to him, he was quick to acknowledge. Like, I, uh, the way it came out wasn't the way I meant it. Um, you know, he apologized. He said, you know, he feels 
terrible. Like when I'm talking to him, he's quite emotional. He, he knows he, he really kind of stepped in it a bit. And, uh, you know, another thing that people should know is, you know, Goran Dragic is universally known across the NBA as, as one of the good guys. Like he is mm-hmm. just a, a, a wonderful, everywhere, every stop he's been, doesn't matter if it's players, teammates, executives, coaches, media, like he's just a well-liked, well-thought-of guy. So for him to end up being the, in this kind of mess is pretty uncharacteristic. But, um, you know, he owned, up, he owned up to it, owned it, apologized to it. But, I mean, the bigger context is, you know, the Raptors didn't trade, do this deal with Miami in order to acquire Gordon, Gordon Dragic and keep him. You know, if they wanted a 35-year-old point guard, they would have kept Kyle Lowry. Um, so it's kind of an open secret that, you know, Gordon Dragic is likely to be traded. Um, you know, it's just when you come out and say, 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 say things the way he said it, it, it kind of sets people off a bit. What do you see as the most likely timeline here, Michael? Because as, as you said, everyone knows and accepts that they're going to look to trade uh, Goran Dragic to a different location. But is, is this something that gets done before the season starts? Or, or is there a chance that we could see Dragic suit up for the Raptors and, and at least play part of the season for the team? Um, there is a chance he could play part of the season in Toronto, for sure. Um, you know, Toronto's not, you know, they need to maximize every transaction they make. And so if, you know, I think the little complication here is, um, you know, Dragic definitely wants to go to Dallas, and and Dallas wants Dragic. Um, you know, the whole Dallas ownership front office was in Slovenia uh, at the same time as Dragic was there because they were kind of celebrating Luka Doncic uh, signing his rookie extension for $207 million. So, like, you know, you can imagine there was a dinner, and you can imagine Gordon Dragic was at it. So, um, you know, the, the from the Raptors' point of view, it's like, yeah, we are just going to give you Goran Dragic. And, um, you know, the salaries have to match. Dragic's on on a $20 million deal, 19.5. So the Raptors have to take, take back about $15 million in salary. And so, you know, there is a fit there maybe with Dwight Powell, the Canadian, who's got two years left and I think $22 million left on his deal, something like that. But, you know, that doesn't completely match, match the salaries. And the, and the player that the Raptors would really want is, is Moses Brown, who's a seven foot two, 21-year-old, played in Oklahoma City last year, a bit of a late bloomer. And, um, and the, the technicality is that he can't be acquired by Toronto uh, for another couple of months. And so there's, they're just kind of in a holding pattern. And I'm sure Dallas would love to get the deal done uh, tomorrow, um, but the return wouldn't be what the Raptors might be hoping for. And so, you know, the Raptors are going to wait. And uh, right now, Goran Dragic is in, in limbo as a result. We're speaking with Michael Grange, Raptors insider with Sportsnet. Michael, just looking stylistically with the Dallas Mavericks, because Goran Dragic has been linked to Dallas uh, the last couple of years, actually, and going over there and playing with his fellow Slovenian, Luka Doncic. Does it make sense for Dallas to get him just in taking the ball a little bit more out of Luka's hands? I think so, because uh, Dragic is, I mean, he's always been able to play as a lead, as a point guard, you know, commanding the ball, but he's also always been really good playing off of. Uh, other ball dominant players, you know, Dwayne Wade and him were really uh, had a nice chemistry in Miami a few years back, and and I mean he's just one of those guys. He's a bit like Kyle Lowry. He can he can kind of he's a chameleon. He can shape into whatever a team needs. 
Um, and I think for uh, for Dallas, they see it as I think there's a great on-court fit, on-court fit, and that you know he can um, just like as if he does end up playing in Toronto, like he can he can kind of run some offense and keep things moving along when Doncic isn't playing. Uh, but you know, and but I think he fits well with Doncic because he's a good shooter. Um, you can take a little bit of pressure off Luka Doncic. And I think there's probably an off-court thing, too. I mean, Luka Doncic is still he's, he's a young guy. He's only 22 years old. He just stepped into $200 bucks. Um, you know, I think having uh, a, a guy like uh, Goran Dragic around, who, as I said, is just one of these super well-respected, well-liked guys who, who is really well-respected and well-liked by, by uh, Luka, you know, I think that's probably a good investment if you're Mark Cuban, right? Is, is let's just let's just make sure that we're surrounding our most important player with people and characters that uh, you know are going to kind of make sure his development goes as smoothly in all areas as it possibly can. So, you know, obviously one of the one of the things Goran Dragic said that didn't come out the right way was he wants to go to a more competitive team than the Raptors and you know I don't think anyone expects the Raptors to be bottom feeders they've got a lot of talent left over even after moving Kyle Lowry but you look at the the Raptors roster right now Michael and you know understanding that things could change if and when they do move Drogic but what are your expectations for this Raptors team as as they move on and and start without Kyle Lowry now um I think they'll probably be a little more competitive than you know people might expect just coming off such a disappointing year last year. Um, I think they're going to have a very clear identity. I think they're going to be a really uh, competitive and a really good defensive team. Um, you know, that just has a lot of guys on the floor at any given time who can guard a lot of different positions and be really aggressive or doing it. And then, you know, and I think that can translate in the regular season. You can have a little, you can play a little bit above your head in the regular season with that style. Um, so, you know, the question for a team like Toronto is how are they going to do against good teams who have, you know, who can kind of meet their energy with talent and execution. And then if you happen to make the playoffs, are you able to, to kind of generate offense um, in difficult situations. And I, and I think when I look at the Raptors lineup and when you look back at how they were last year, even that's what's missing. They just don't. And even the year before when they were, you know, the second best record in the NBA in crunch time uh, in the playoffs, Boston, as an example, they just didn't have, you know, that Kawhi factor, that one guy who can go and just, you know, manufacture buckets, manufacture chances over and over again against, you know, the best defenses in the league. And, Guess what? A lot of teams don't have them. Uh, the teams that have those guys are teams that we think could win the NBA title, and uh, that's that's sort of what's short. And so, you know, does the Raptors do they end up being kind of a 40, 45 win team that that makes their way into the playoffs? And what's a pretty tough conference? I think that's possible. Um, could they be a little bit better than that? Yeah, that's that's not that's not inconceivable. Um, but I don't. I just don't see the ceiling of this group being all that high right now. The other big piece of news, and really the big piece of news for the Raptors over the last week or so, Michael, of course, is that Masai Ujiri staying with the organization, signing a new deal, and he gets a couple of new titles along with it as well. And, and to me, that's kind of the most interesting part of this is, you know, obviously it's fantastic news for the franchise that an executive like Masai Ujiri with his track record is sticking around. But what's your sense of 
how his day-to-day role with the club is going to change and evolve with this new deal? Um, I'm not sure it's going to change a lot. I think what it does is it kind of confirms where it's headed, been headed for a long time. And, and you know, Masai Jiri is still very engaged in the basketball process. Um, he knows where his bread is buttered. But he's built a great team there. And Bobby Webster is um, very much – uh, a general manager with a ton of authority and a ton of responsibility. And, you know, he's kind of, you know, the point person for basketball in a way that, that maybe wasn't the case four or five years ago. Um, I think what Masai Jiri represents is he's a leader within that group. He's, um, you know, he still has his, you know, he can still bring it, <laughs> you know, in terms of his basketball acumen. But I think he's also kind of engaged in a higher level of brand building for the organization within the NBA and within the basketball community globally. And he's going to do that through some of his foundation work, Giants of Africa. I think he's going to be uh, going to do that through uh, the NBA's interest in Africa, in, in NBA Africa. And I think, you know, I think if, if you were to put a fine, uh, you know, kind of a, a catch-all to it, he's, you know, that vice chairman term, I think it kind of gives him the freedom and the authority to uh, lift the Raptors brand in a way, you know, internationally and within the NBA that, that, you know, your standard basketball executive isn't interested in doing and doesn't, you know, doesn't have the the freedom to do. And so I think that's where, where he can spend some of his energies when he's not attending to things like who the Raptors are going to draft or trade. Um, so I, I think that's the way I would put it. Um, he's not an owner of the team, I think, um, you know, but I think he's going to be, you know, he's going to be compensated in such a way that, you know, he can, you know, he's certainly going to, going to be the best compensated executive in the NBA, if not all of sports. And, um, you know, and I think it's all that adds up to a pretty influential figure in, 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 in the NBA and in sports generally. In conversation with Michael Grange on Rintoul and Sermon, Jamie Dodd in for Scott Rintoul. A few more minutes here. Michael, when you look at the East and how it stacks up this year, just looking at what's happened this offseason, with all due respect to Milwaukee being the defending champs, is it Brooklyn and then everybody else? I think so. <laughs> you know, I think, um, you know, it's a kind of a shame just as a basketball fan, you know, you just didn't get quite that opportunity to see what that Brooklyn team would be like at full power, you know, just with all the injuries they had to struggle with down the stretch. But, you know, the moments they did have James Harden playing his best and uh, Kevin Durant playing his best and Kyrie Irving playing his best, not to mention, you know, some really good role players on that team too. Uh, I didn't think anyone could touch them. And um, I, I still believe that. I think that they're, uh, they're, we've never seen a team as gifted offensively ever. And I shouldn't say ever. I mean, some of those 80s Lakers teams were pretty amazing with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Matthew Johnson, James Worthy, and, and the rest. But he's, it's certainly going to be, you know, in that conversation. And so if they're healthy, I think they win. And I think we see some things in basketball we haven't seen for a long, long time. Michael, just before we let you go, I wanted to ask you about the NBA opening a, uh, a tampering investigation into the sign-and-trade sending Kyle Lowry to the Miami Heat, it's always kind of funny because, you know, 
the 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 period when teams and players are allowed to talk opens up and then one minute later we get reports of all these incredibly complex deals that have been agreed to it's obviously a bit of a charade but then it's also a little weird that the nba seems to very selectively choose which deals it decides to investigate we saw it last year with milwaukee they got burned by it it it, it doesn't look like the nba is going to undo this deal but there might be some fines or some punishments handed out but just in general with the idea of tampering i mean in your mind, what's the best way for the NBA to to address this situation? They're clearly not entirely happy with the status quo, but it also doesn't seem like they have an, an easy solution at hand. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and, and, you know, the other thing that needs to be pointed out is they benefit hugely from tampering, <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> you know, the analogy I made the other day is, is like, it's imagine if, you know, Hollywood, the industry, you know, uh, started getting mad at Entertainment Tonight for reporting gossip about movies and movie stars, right? Like, I mean, really? <laughs> you know, that's that's how they build. Like, there's a whole industry behind uh, all those stars to make sure they get gossiped about, right? And 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 to keep it, to stay top of mind, to get people thinking and 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 uh, being aware of. You know, I, mean, I can't even think of a star. Whoever they might be, in between their movies. So when the movie comes out, that there's, you know, that there's there's something to promote. There's beyond just a bad movie. And so I think, you know, when you look at, you know, all that whole week leading up to free agency or all that time leading up to the trade deadline, that's content. That's content for the league's partners, and it's even and even on the league's own website, the league's own programming, they talk about it. And so. I just find it incredibly disingenuous that they are going to try and slap some of these wrists about this uh, because a, they'll never be able to stop it. And B, you know, how they decide what needs to be investigated or not is makes no sense to anybody. And so I just think they say, should just forget about it. Like, I don't even know what the point is, right? Like, I mean, you can make all the rules you want and it's not going to stop one player a from one team texting player B from another team or walking up to him in warmups and, you know, asking about, you know, what are they going to do in the summer? <laughs> you know, cause that's how it works. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these guys, you know, you see all those conversations taking place before games at the end of the game in tunnels. Now, some of it is just legitimately catching up on trends and family, but a lot of it is, Hey, what are you doing next year? Your contract's up. What are you hearing? What's your plan? <laughs> you know, why don't you come play with us? And uh, that's never going to stop. So like why pretend otherwise? Well, and it makes it uh, entertaining off season for us in covering the NBA, Michael. Uh, thanks so much for joining us uh, during your summer vacation, during the off season. We'll catch up down the road as we uh, count closer to training camp. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, awesome. Michael Grange, once again, joining us, Raptors Insider with Sportsnet. Hey, Jamie, I got a really simple solution for tampering. Yes. Like, just don't talk to Woj or Shams. Like, honestly. <laughs> well, that's the like, thing, right? Well, like. And, and Michael's right in the point, and I was listening to a podcast yesterday, I think it was the Ringer NBA podcast, with Raja Bell, who's a former NBA player, and he's like, look, you can't stop these guys from talking. And when he was a free agent, I believe he was with Utah, he said, the year before his contract was up with Utah, 
he knew he was signing in Phoenix and he's like, I don't want to get anyone in trouble, but look, we share agents with other players. So if a GM calls said agent on certain so-and-so player, you don't think agent's going to go, well, I see, you know, after this year, I have a vacant position or you have a vacant position at point guard. What do you think of this player? Blah, blah, blah. Like it happens, but like, why do we care? And you make a great point about the leaks to, to Woj and to Shams, right? Because what were, you know, okay, when, when those guys break these deals, this yeah. is not, it's not investigative journalism like we normally think about it, right? Like, they're not, no. you know, cracking cracking the case here. They're, they're being fed this information either by members of the front office or by the agent, right? And that's actually very common now is that they'll even credit the agent when they announce something, right? Yes, but if teams want to avoid having to deal with these tampering penalties that the NBA is starting to hand out now, yeah, just just make sure everyone's on the same page and say, hey, we're not leaking this. Or at the very least say, when you leak it, it's we're interested in, not we have agreed to it, right? Like that, <laughs> just, just changing the language that much, I think would make a difference from the NBA's perspective. And you're right, it's, it's such a funny relationship that front offices and agents have with these insiders, but... At a certain point, you just got to say, hey, Woj, man, just so you know, this isn't agreed to. We're just talking about it, right? Just do that. And it would go a long way to, I think, removing some of the scrutiny from the NBA. I just, I look at it and I don't understand why the NBA picks and chooses which ones are. It's so Maybe weird. The, it's, it's well, so it's the, weird. It's the ones that are a little bit more complicated, right? Because yeah. it's the sign and trade and then the assets going back the other way. So the fact that like Lonzo Ball had to sign with the Pelicans and then get traded and then what assets were coming back. But it also makes people talk about the NBA and keep it front of mind during the off season. So I don't understand why that's a bad thing. And I do think too, when you may a good point there when Mo- Woj and uh, Shams have started to credit the agent like I do yeah. wonder if NBA teams have said like look for us not to get investigated for tampering you gotta have the leak come from the agent because it just looks like it's coming from the player themselves the agents themselves not the team like I don't know if it's a strategic thing from the team saying look Woj credit them and he, he's, pro- he's not wrong in where he's getting it from, but he's going to say, okay, the agent, then he's going to go talk to his uh, connection with, say, said team and just to kind of figure out if he's along the right path, right, to make sure it's actually happening. Yeah. But I do wonder if it's strategically from the NBA saying, credit the agent because then the teams can't get in trouble. Well, you know what? I think it's honestly, I think it's the agents just want the publicity, right? Because he shouts <laughs> out the agent, he gives a little link to their Twitter, their Twitter, right? I think the agents just want a little chance in the spotlight. They want some publicity for themselves. And, and even from an agent's perspective, though, like take a sign and trade. You know, your client has decided he wants to go to that location, right? Kyle Lowry decided he wanted to go to Miami, and then the teams arranged the side and trade around around that. So even as an agent, you have an incentive to make sure that deal goes through, right? To make sure that the NBA yep. doesn't try to unwind that deal. So you'd think even the agents would have some incentive here to, you know, keep things locked down just a little bit more than they do now. Nope, they didn't, and I love it every time I get a Woj bomb or a Shams bomb on Twitter yep. because it just shows it just, it just shows how crazy the NBA is. Not with them releasing this information, but I do love how the NBA offseason, maybe not this year as compared to years past, but there's always something that happens. You're just like, what? Okay, let's move on, and it yep. changes the landscape of the NBA. Up against the clock, uh, one final segment here on Sportsnet 650. Get to a little bit of notes and quotes and maybe some other talk topics as well as we round up the show. You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon. Jamie Dodd in for Scott Rintoul on Sportsnet 650.
Now back to Rintoul and Sermon. This song takes me back, Jamie, to what? I want to say early 2000s or is this in the 90s? Yeah. I can't remember if it's my say, university years. I think my university I would say years. Like 2000, 2001 is what I would guess yeah. off the top of my head. Yeah, it, it takes me I think, back to like 2000. There you, there you go. go. So, yes, post high school start of university. For me, the year 2000. Uh, Jamie, we <laughs> have been promising we're going to play what they're saying for the majority of the show, but we've had some conversations <laughs> that have gone long. So let's, they're topics that we've talked about today, but I want to hear kind of from these specific people on the Toronto Raptors a bit and on Josh Allen, because he was one of your questions this NFL offseason. So let's play a quick abbreviated version of what they're saying. So you and I talked about Josh Allen and his development moving forward. Can he take another step? Will there be any regression this season? He also signed that massive contract with the Buffalo Bills. Contract extension. Bills GM Brandon Bean was on 590 this morning. And he talked about the development year over year since year one from Josh Allen with the Buffalo Bills. You know, Josh is, is one of those guys that he's never satisfied. I mean, he's ultra competitive. Uh, as we researched him, you know, back through that process, you know, four or five years ago was uh, everywhere you turn, whether it was high school people, college people, whatever, this guy, uh, he will settle for nothing but, but winning. And that's what you want. That's the model. Again, um, you know, the thing that we, we really liked about Josh was he did have physical tools, but um, still a high ceiling, he, you know, with those. He, he played multiple sports growing up in high school, he never just, you know, we see all this one sport stuff these days that um, no matter what it is, football, basketball, hockey. And so Josh, he did everything. And I think there was still a lot of room for him to grow. And, and so once he just honed in on football as, as he advanced his career, um, he again, he's done a great job with, with our people, Brian Dable, Ken Dorsey. And then in the off season when he can't be around our, our coaches, um, he's gotten with Jordan Palmer uh, out in California and has just continued to work on his craft. And, and I think that's why he's seen the improvement each year that he's come back. So he signed the six-year deal, Jamie, $258 million, $150 million guaranteed, which is just, oh, it's incredible until the next quarterback, Baker Mayfield right. or Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson signed their yeah. incredible deal. Uh, it's second only to Patrick Mahomes. Two things that strike me. Yes, he does anticipate that Josh Allen's going to continue to work on his craft and continue to get better. Two, he played multiple sports growing up yeah. in high school. Like, for all everything that I took away from that, I'm like, yeah, okay, great. He was a kid, allowed to be a kid. <laughs> Yeah, and there's a there's a fascinating um, kind of through line too of quarterbacks that played baseball in high school yes. as well. So not just different sports, but I know Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, obviously was drafted into Major League Baseball. Patrick Mahomes, I think, was a shortstop. That's very very common. And I know you and I are very much on the same page of this, right? Like not just mm -hmm. first of all, your kid is probably not going to be an elite pro athlete anyway, so you should just let them have fun and play the sports they like. But even if your goal is to make them an elite professional athlete, there's a ton of evidence that not specializing yes. too early is actually extremely helpful, right? Because you pick up extra athleticism, extra skills playing other sports that you won't get just focusing on one. And I thought that was a fascinating comment from Brandon Bean to say, hey, we that's one of the things we liked about Josh yeah. Allen and that convinced us that he had room to grow as a quarterback. You know, it's funny. I was listening to, I think it was ESPN radio yesterday, and they were talking about the fact that like when – NFL players, college athletes get interviewed for the draft process and 
a lot of teams will ask, what are your other interests? And Mike Golick Jr., who went to Notre Dame and was drafted into the NFL and played a few years in the NFL, he was coached by people telling him that you do not tell the people in the NFL that are interviewing you that you have any other interests. It's right. like, no, I am interested in football and that's it because apparently if you don't have, if you do have under interest, then you're not going to be 100% in football. You and I have been of the diversity uh, conversation. Like not only does it give you other um, attributes that you could probably take to a football field, talk about playing baseball, but it's just like, just be a kid and let kids try and decide on their own and not forcing them because they're good at one sport. Doesn't mean they just have to be all in on that one sport. at such an early age. Right. And that's such a silly mentality from teams right the idea that if you ever think about anything other than football ah your your head's not really in it we don't want you I mean come on that's just right that's not realistic what you're at you're asking for people to lie to you and I I just don't get that mentality at all it's it's not realistic and and really is that what you want you want do you actually want people who aren't well-rounded at all on your team if you're trying to build a certain culture don't you want people who have other interests outside of that sport I don't know it doesn't make any sense to me well, and I just think the the ability for possibility for burnout is just incredible. If it's yep. football all in and all, especially at a young age. And I mean, <laughs> we talk about Carter Hart and, you know, what he went through this past season, some difficulties and the likelihood he probably didn't have an outlet when he went home uh, because of the pandemic and the restrictions. And who knows how that'll affect him going forward. Hopefully it doesn't. But uh, yeah, you want these guys to be round, well-rounded individuals. Uh, we just spoke with, with Michael Grange about... Goran Drogic's comments in Slovenian, then translated to English and taken a little bit out of context. But let's hear from Raptors GM Bobby Webster on his reaction to these comments. It was translated, and I'd rather you know get it directly from him to just understand exactly what he meant by that. Um, but I, I think if, if we're just going to talk about kind of all the issues, obviously, you know, we, uh, we feel like we're going to be competitive. Um, we have a, a core, as, as we've talked about, that's been around for a while and, and has won. Um, you know, kind of at the highest level as well. So I think, uh, you know, let's let's give us some time here to see, um, you know, how he would fit in and, and if he likes to hear or not. I think he's a pro and he's, he's been around a lot and he's obviously entitled to, um, you know, want to make the most of his, you know, years as he's, as his career comes, you know, comes down here. Um, but, yeah, I don't see it as anything, uh, you know, controversial in the sense of um, I'm sure if you ask every player, that's what they wanted. So, um, you know, I don't take it, you know, in any in any way slight or anything like that. And I thought Michael Grange did a good job of explaining it, and Goran Drogic did a good job of explaining it. Like, look, like, it was taken out of context. There was one words, the one verse statement that was translated into English, and it's kind of the problem we have with society now, Jamie, and Twitter, and it's clickbait, and it's like, you know, the one translation, it's put out there, and all of a sudden, Goran Drogic never wants to play a game in Toronto. Yeah, right? Yeah, like, all of a sudden, he's calling Toronto the worst city in the world or something, right? Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, he probably doesn't want to go specifically to Toronto from Miami where he has a young family and move them. And, you know, maybe he looks at this Toronto Raptors organization and says it's not exactly where (laughs) he wants to be at this point in his career. An aging point guard only has a couple more years left in the NBA. He thinks he has a better chance maybe somewhere else. Maybe that's Dallas. But I just think it's when I looked at everything that went along with this, I said, oh, it's just Twitter, it's clickbait, and we don't actually give context to things anymore. Yeah, it's and it's it's very understandable from Dragic's perspective, right? Not just, you know, obviously he wasn't trying to insult the Raptors, even though it came across that way, but you just think, you know, he's probably grown accustomed to the weather in Miami, the <laughs> lifestyle, right? Yeah. Being on a competitive team year in, year out, all of those things, 
there's a million different reasons why players prefer certain markets to other markets. It's different for every player. And just because one guy says, you know what, this isn't my preferred destination. You don't have to take that as an insult to your city right? or your team, right? That's just, everyone has different preferences. That's just how the world is. It's okay. And hey, if he doesn't want to be here, that's fine too. Let him go somewhere else where he does. You could look at it that way. If he doesn't want to be here, it's not an insult. Just let him go play somewhere else. Uh, I, If I'm a betting person, and I do bet on a few things, but I, I do think that they'll get a deal done before opening day. I think that Dallas has been asked after Goran Dragic and been linked to him for such a long time. I just see, this, see this deal getting done, just the Raptors wanting the return back. Now, you pointed me to this NBA story before oh, the man. show started today, and I'm going to let you set this up because I read it and I started laughing hysterically at it because I'm thinking, Dennis Schroeder, if you had a clip for what they're saying, you're probably thinking, what the heck did I just do? Yeah, and so Dennis Schroeder, for those who don't know, point guard in the NBA, uh, longtime NBA point guard, played in L.A. last year, had a really, really nice regular season playing alongside LeBron James. Not a career year necessarily, but it was a good fit. He was effective, played his role, looked like a really solid contributing member of that team. Early in the season, in January, I believe, they offered him an $84 million contract extension. Perfect. 84. Great. Amazing. Way more than Dennis Schroeder's agreed to in the past. That's awesome, right? Sign it, take it, forget it, and run. Dennis Schroeder said, you know what? I'm going to be a free, agency, a free agent after this year. I'm 27. I'm having a great season as a starter for a contending team. I'm going to bet on myself. I'm going to go to free agency. Sorry, no, not interested. Not interested in the $84 million. I think I can get more on the open market. Mm -hmm. Teams are going to be clamoring for my services. Unfortunately, Dennis Schroeder had a brutal, brutal playoff series against Phoenix. Faltered down the stretch a little bit as well. And all of a sudden, the market for his services evaporated just like that. The latest report today yeah. from Jordan Schultz at ESPN is that the Boston Celtics have offered Dennis Schroeder a one-year deal worth just under $6 million. So he hasn't agreed to it yet, and it sounds like there's maybe, maybe a bit of a back and forth with uh, yeah. with Boston. He's going to try to get that second year. But, like, most we're looking at here is, you know, two years at $15 million, something like that. That's the absolute most. Right now, the offer on the table from the Celtics is just one year, just under $6 million. He could potentially lose $78 million because his uh, bet on himself backfired. And you, you know, Karen, normally we're all about people betting on themselves, right? Like, yeah, you have that confidence. Have that swagger. Go get that money. You can do better. And sometimes it pays off. We've seen it pay off in the past. But, oh, man, when it backfires, this has to hurt. And look, you know, Dennis Schroeder, he's never going to go hungry. I understand that. Yeah, yeah, you're missing out on $78 million. And not only that, you could still be playing with LeBron James and Anthony Davis and competing right? for championships. And you'd have $78 extra million. Oh, and, and I, I don't want to make too much fun because apparently, you know, the reporting is Dennis Schroeder's in, in a bit of a state of shock with how this has all played out. And I understand. But man, oh man, one of the all-time free agency goof-ups in sports right now. Yeah, free agent blunders that will go yes. down in history. Like, yeah, you want to bet on yourself, but I think betting on LeBron James is a better option. Like, 
you just you're not gonna go back. You won the NBA title and you're defending champions and you're having a pretty good season. Don't you want to run it back with the Lakers and see what you can do? LeBron James is always gonna be the teams that he plays on is always gonna be a favorite to win the NBA title. I know it didn't go well last year, injuries, all that kind of stuff. But if you're Dennis Schroeder, you're going, who better for me to play with and get a chance to play for NBA titles year after year? Not to mention, still make eighty four million dollars. And and look, Karen, I have a very simple rule in life that, you know, could have helped Dennis Schroeder avoid this situation. If somebody offers you $84 million, you take it. (laughs) Just just take it. It's a a really simple rule that I live by. Don't overthink it. Don't think twice. Just go ahead and put pen to paper and cash that $84 million. I I wish I could have given Schroeder that advice earlier. You know what? I'm going to take that advice that you have. Yeah, that's uh, that's free advice. For all of if, our listeners, yeah. If someone decides they want $84 million to put and me just to sign pen and paper, I will sign pen to paper. Jamie Dodd told me so. It's a simple rule. Yeah. I can't go wrong if I do this. Uh, poor Dennis Schroeder. He's just, oh, uh, it sucks. It's tough. It, it's tough. It's tough because it's probably a big blow to his ego. He's got to take a minimum. The only thing that's hoping for Dennis Schroeder and the Boston Celtics, he's a sh- it's a show me deal and then he can cash in next year. Hey, Greg, let's get to notes and quotes. Jamie, I watched a little baseball over the weekend with the Olympics winding down. What a series that was. Fireworks on, fri- fireworks on Friday between the Jays and the Red Sox. That fifth inning was pretty impressive. What, nine runs scored with two yeah. outs, I believe? Um, I think, what, how many doubles were scored? We're hitting that inning five something. I don't know. Anyways, Jays are coming off nine and two record on their homestand, their first actual homestand of this season. They've got a doubleheader today against the LA Angels. They're opening a four game set out west. The only unfortunate thing, at least about today, is the fact that Shohei Otani is not pitching in either of these two games. Yeah, it's too bad, but still an exciting series against the Angels for the Jays. And man, I mean, we got to give a shout out to George Springer, right? Like it yes. w- took a little bit of time for him, one, to get into the lineup and then to get rolling once he did get in the lineup. But holy cow, the tear he is on right now, full value for that contract. Obviously, the it could be one of the defining plays of the season for the Jays is that three-run three home run to, yes. to complete the comeback and get them the win against Boston in the bottom of the eighth. But oh my goodness, what a tear George Springer is on right now. Well, and you're playing seven games this week against teams that are below you in the standings. One team, well, both teams, I guess, are chasing you for the wild card or at least behind you trying to get a wild card spot in the Angels and the Mariners. The key is for the Toronto Blue Jays, and I think we can probably agree on this. Yeah, it's great to do this at home. You beat a Kansas City uh, team that you should beat. You beat a Cleveland Indians team, three out of four, a team you should beat. You took three out of four from the Red Sox, a team that's ahead of you in the standings, but has been kind of spinning their wheels as of late, so you caught them at the right time. At home, the emotion, the crowd, they're cheering for you. It's fantastic. If you want to make the playoffs, you got to beat the teams that are behind you, and you got to carry this momentum to the road. And trips out to the West Coast, longtime Blue Jays fans will know this, trips out to the West Coast have not always been kind to the Blue Jays, right? Like, their season has faltered more than once when they've made that trip out West. So they should do fine in these series. Again, as you're saying, they're playing teams that are chasing them in the standings. They have a much stronger run differential than these teams they're playing. Yeah. It shouldn't be that much of a problem, but, you know, you never know. You never know when the Jays come out West. BC Lions, this news came out of practice yesterday for those that were there uh, just watching practice. Apparently, Michael Riley uh, was limited once again in practice yesterday, and 
We'll look to see what comes out from today because it's a short week. They play Thursday in Calgary. Looks like the team is preparing to have Nathan Work start at quarterback against the Stampeders on Thursday night, as I just mentioned, at McMahon Stadium. Here's the thing I look at. It, uh, Jamie, like that game was so bizarre on Friday. It was He was limited the week yeah. leading up to it, and then he was good all the way up until – uh, coin toss and then like the pain meds wet wore off and he couldn't go and then I guess he got shot up again probably at halftime and said I'm good to go and just the whole the whole situation is weird the one thing I think that's positive is if the team does realize that Nathan Rourke can start this week in Calgary like the entire offensive scheme this week will be designed around Nathan Rourke's playbook not Mike Riley's playbook and Nathan Rourke running it Nathan Rourke's playbook yeah they won't have to scramble, right, which they kind of did in game one of the season. An interesting subplot, right, was, you know, a league that's trying to make inroads with sports betters, and then all of a sudden you have a last-minute <laughs> yeah. starting quarterback switch. You know, that does not exactly endear your product to people who like to put a wager down on sports. So that was kind of an interesting subplot to the whole thing. But I, I will also say, I mean, I, I know they come up short in the game, but I think early returns on Nathan Rourke, pretty positive for a guy getting his first start in the CFL gives you some confidence that you have something there going forward in the youngster. Well, and a first start where you're not expecting to start until literally right. a minute before the game supposed, supposed to kick off. He had some some tough stretches. Pick six is one of the ones, but hey, he had a really nice pass towards the end of the half to Lucky Whitehead that ended in the in the end zone. Also had a beautiful pass. Game was kind of out of reach, but when he came back in the fourth quarter to Brian Burnham in the end zone, so at least that gives him some uh, confidence moving forward and confidence for the rest of the offense that he can run it six. Successfully, not just Mike Riley, Michael Riley being the only player to do that. A little tennis action uh, tonight. Bianca Andrescu, the number two seed at the National Bank Open. The Canadian is back on center court. She's defending her title. And when I heard that, I'm like, she is? And I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. She had the walkover over Serena two years ago, which really kick-started. I mean, it kickstarted her run to winning a Grand Slam and the first Canadian to yep. win a Grand Slam um, in history. So she'll be on court tonight. I'm interested to see just if she can get through this match because we've seen her struggles in first rounds of any tournaments lately. <laughs> well, and I mean, that's the question with Andreski, right? Is just can she stay healthy? Can Again, not only can she stay on the court, but is she going to be healthy enough to be at her best on the court because I don't think there's any question about her ability I mean she's a Grand Slam champion she's a U.S. Open champion already it's just a question of is her body going to cooperate enough to let her do her thing out there and I would like to see it like if she can make a run to the title I'd like to see her win the title (laughs) uh absolutely let's go right like not just have Serena withdrawal because of injury and we also right so I had that went down um Jamie that's it for today we made it awesome August 10th We made it. In the books. (laughs) We figured out a way how to get some sports content on the radio. We're going to try and figure out again how to do that tomorrow. Uh, To all our listeners, thank you for joining us over the last four hours. Greg Ballack, I will give you big ups today. It was good. You didn't play any clips that made me give you the evil eye. Uh, Jamie, he played the I Promise Mess I Wouldn't Do It Yesterday by Wayne Gretzky. (laughs) Right? Coming in like from the final segment of our show and I was in studio and the evil eye he got, he's like, oh damn, I should have played that when she's at home. (laughs) So so I can't see her, but Greg, uh, big ups today. Josh Elliott Wolf again, fantastic producing of this program for guests. We always enjoy that. We'll see what comes up tomorrow. Jamie, thanks again. Welcome back couple more Thank days you. to go Sh- short week for you so yep. uh that's Just how i like po- it big fan <laughs> of the four-day week 
That's always a positive. I've got three more days and then I have vacations. So that's the countdown going on in my brain. Uh, again, thanks for listening. Up next is Bick and the Boss with Just the Boss on Sportsnet 650.